The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, for it is in the righteousness of God it is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Somebody say that with me. The just shall live by faith. Say it again. The just shall live by faith. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name of Your Son, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your grace and Your love. We pray, God, that as I endeavor to open up the Word of God, that You would bring illumination to our hearts and to our spirits. Lord, we pray that the Word of God is not just a dry, dead letter to us, but it would come alive to us by the Spirit of God. Do a work in our hearts today. Change us, mold us, and make us to the people that You've called us to be. And all the church said a great big Amen. Open your heart this morning because I have anticipated in preaching this sermon, so felt like this is what the Spirit of the Lord wants you to hear today. And I want you to open up your heart and I want you to listen to what I feel that is beneficial for your spiritual growth and development. Today is what we call Reformation Sunday. Reformation Sunday. You may have heard of this before, or you may not have heard of this, but it's important that we all understand the significance of what happened over 500 years ago. 500 years ago, on October the 31st, 1517, a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther became upset or frustrated over the corrupt practices of the Roman church. He became so frustrated over it that he nailed 95 points, or what they refer to as theses, on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, he certainly did not think that his 95 points would cause such a division in the church because this man by the name of Martin Luther did not want to destroy his church. He didn't want to leave his church. Martin Luther wanted to reform his church. He nailed 95 points to the door of the church. And that is what we know as the unofficial start of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago this week. Martin Luther's actions started a reformation that caused a big division in the universal church. You see, the Roman Catholic Church was the primary church for over a thousand years. The church had become corrupted in her practices. The church was corrupted in her belief system. For instance, the hierarchy controlled what the church believed. Priests were illiterate. Rome was a cesspool of debauchery. Common people couldn't even read the Bible, more or less those who had authority in the church couldn't read the Bible. And top it all off, the Roman church began to sell indulgences. And a preacher by the name of John Tetzel, John Tetzel, began to preach this message, and one of his, one of his famous sayings was this, and I quote, As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul from heaven springs. 
John Tetzel went around preaching that if you give money to the Roman church, then the church has the power to remove the remission of your sins. If you gave money, the church had the authority to forgive you of your sins. Now just think about that. The church hold or held such authority and such power that if you gave a certain amount of money, your sins would be forgiven. And the selling, the selling of indulgences, really, it, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Martin Luther, he became so frustrated over it. And I don't know about you, but would you have become frustrated over it? He became so frustrated over it that he began to protest against such practices. And he nailed those 95 points to the door of the church. Now, although he didn't think that that would cause such a division, but he nailed it to the door of the church and his followers were known as Protestants. The word Protestant means to protest against. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a Protestant Christian. For 500 years, we are celebrating that we are free from the Roman Catholic Church. We have broke away from her power. You see, oh, 500 years ago, there was no such thing as the Baptist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Pentecostal Church. There was no such thing as different churches on different street corners with different names. It was all the Roman Church. And that man, Martin Luther, had enough guts to stand up against the corrupt practices of the church. And because he stood up against the corrupt practices of the church, you and I have the freedom to sit in a church and read the Bible without the hierarchy telling us what to believe. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't mean anything. It means a whole lot. Somebody had to stand up. Somebody had to declare that that's not right. Somebody had to declare that the corrupt practices of indulgences was sinful and it was not right according to Scripture. You see, why is this important? Do you know why this is important? Because I firmly believe that we need another reformation in the church. I'm going to say that again. The reason I believe that this is important is because we need another reformation in the church. And we need another reformation in our country. Hallelujah. Do you, are you, are you, do you believe the pastor today? Do you believe we need another reformation? You look around our nation, you look around at our church, and there is a decline in the spiritual atmosphere. We are plagued by prayerlessness. You call a prayer meeting, I might get three people show up. The day of misplaced priorities. The day of lukewarmness. The day where there is a famine of hearing the Word of God. The Scriptures are not as high as a priority as they used to be. Our hearts have become cold. Truth is no longer absolute. Rebellion against authority is quite common nowadays. Church attendance is at its lowest. You have to beg people 
who say they love Jesus to attend church. Perversion is very common. There's debauchery flowing in our churches as a cesspool. The virgin birth of Jesus is being debated on the convention floors in our traditional denominational churches. They're standing on convention floors debating on whether Jesus was actually born of a virgin. They're standing on convention floors debating on whether Jesus is fully God and fully man, something that the church has held true since its conception. The view of marriage is no longer one man with one woman. Now our view of marriage is totally different. We need another reformation. I said we need another reformation. Hallelujah. It's time for a spiritual awakening in our churches. It's time that we return to Calvary. It's time that we return to the biblical values. It's time that we return to the Word of God. And it's time that we become a praying people once again. My God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of your heart this morning and that you would realize that we need another Martin Luther that would stand up and say it's enough with this prayerlessness. It's enough with this lukewarmness. It's enough with the corrupt practices of our church. We need a revival. We need a reformation. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice? You're hungry for a new move of the Holy Spirit in our churches. Oh, we need a reformation. Hallelujah. Is there about 50 people that would stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I need a reformation. I want a reformation. We desire a reformation in our churches. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need a reformation. God, I pray today that you would stir our hearts, that you would raise up another Martin Luther, that you would raise up men and women who have a passion to defy the odds. Some of us, your heart is cold. You know why your heart is cold? Because your prayerlessness is cold become critical and aggravated and self-serving. need a reformation. Marriages are falling apart. There's no time for us to be sitting on the sidelines. Lives are falling apart. People are hungering for a move. You see, the miracles of Jesus in Scripture, validated who He was. That He was the Son of God. That was the primary purpose of miracles. is to validate who Jesus was. But I am concerned that nowadays we, have, we want to reason the Scriptures. We want to logic, try to prove that God is real, and we certainly need to do that. But the reason we do that mostly is because we have no power. Ain't nobody getting healed. Ain't nobody being raised from the dead. There's nobody being healed of cancer. There's no power anymore. So we got to engage our minds because there's no power anymore. Jesus engaged his mind, but he also engaged the scriptures. He engaged the power of God. Acts chapter number 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. And he went about healing all who were sick. You see, 
got to engage the Scriptures. You've got to have logic. You've got to do that. But you got, can't lose the spiritual aspect of it. See, Martin Luther was disgusted by those practices for 500 years. We remember what Martin Luther has done. Now, I'm sure if Martin Luther didn't break away from the Roman church, somebody would have. But God used Martin to stand up against those corrupt practices. Martin Luther, it is said in his journal, would strip off his clothes and go out into a snowstorm and pray to God. He would take whips and whip his back because he felt as though if I could do damage or harm to the body, that my body wouldn't want to sin any longer. He wrestled with this notion, am I saved? I'm not sure about my eternal destination. He wrestled with it. At one time, Martin Luther said he stayed in a confessional booth for eight hours. Why eight hours? Because the Roman church taught that if you didn't confess, you wasn't forgiven. So he thought, if I can't confess... I'm not going to be forgiven. I'm going to be damned. So he stayed eight hours in a confessional booth to a priest calling every little sin he ever thought or did until the priest said to Martin Luther, Martin Luther, please, please, it's enough. Martin Luther struggled inside of him. I'm not sure about salvation. The Roman church taught that if you went to Mass and you partook of communion and you did these rituals, that somehow you would be saved if you gave your money to the church. The church would make sure that you went to heaven. See? As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. Martin Luther knew within himself that this is not right. I have no peace for my soul. I have no comfort for my soul. I'm doing everything the church wants me to do. I'm going to Mass. I'm, I'm whipping myself. I'm trying to get my body into shape because my body wants to sin and there's a war within me. And I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know where I'll spend eternity until one day Martin Luther was reading the Bible. Something happens when you read the Bible. Theologians call it his tower experience. He was reading through the Scriptures. And Martin Luther, who was a German professor in Wittenberg, was reading the Scriptures. At the same time, he's seeing the corrupt practices of the church. He's reading the Bible, and it comes along one Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It will be behind me. He found this Scripture as he was reading the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he, he, he spotted a sentence. He spotted something in this, this passage that changed his life. The passage was, the just shall live by faith. Just then, Martin Luther had an epiphany. Just then, Martin Luther thought to himself, the just shall live by faith. That means I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to do everything the church is telling me to do. 
I have to just simply believe God. And when I believe God, I'm justified and forgiven of my sin. Hallelujah. That was a great epiphany for Martin Luther. Martin Luther then nailed the 95 points to the door of the church and said indulgences is against the scriptures. The just shall live by faith. And I want to let you know today, don't you let anybody try to tell you that you've got to work for your salvation, that you've got to do this or that to be saved. The scripture is clear. They that call upon the Lord shall be saved. If you call upon the Lord, just then he will pardon you from your iniquity. See, the Roman church taught fusion theology. Pastor David, come here. Turn me up just a tad. Fusion theology is this. You're God. And I am the peasant in the 1500s. A poor peasant. I'm following the Roman church. The church tells me I got to go to mass. Got to take communion. I got to give my indulgences to be forgiven. And so they taught fusion theology. You know what fusion theology is this? Fusion theology is, I am the sinner, I give and go to church, give my money to the church, and every time I do that, I take a step towards God. And then when I take a step, God takes a step. So I give more money, and I take another step towards God, and God takes another step towards me. I go to Mass and say my prayers and do the rosary beads and do all that stuff, and so every time I do that, I take another step towards God, and God takes another step towards me until at the end of my life, we're fused together. Martin Luther, stay right there. Martin Luther, read in the Bible, the just shall live by faith. Just then, Martin Luther thought to himself, this fusion theology of me working towards God, me taking a step and then God takes a step, Seems like a lot of work. There's not a lot of faith involved. And Martin Luther then discovered in the Old Testament that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him. Ooh, I'm about to shout righteousness. He says, how in the world did Abraham work? How did Abraham, Abraham wasn't fused, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. Now I'm, I'm, I'm about to shout here. You know what fusion theology is? Fusion theology is every time I do a good work, I take a step towards God. God takes a step towards me. But to impute means I don't have to take a step. God takes a step and because of my faith, he imputes to me righteousness. He forgives me because I believe him. Did you hear what the preacher said? Woo! That means I don't have to, I don't have to work for it. That means if I miss church, it doesn't mean I'm being damned. If I don't give enough money, that doesn't mean I'm being damned. It's all contingent upon whether I put my faith in Him. And the moment I put my faith in Him is the moment He forgives me without me working for it. 
And isn't that what the church wants to do? The church wants to tell you that if you don't do this and don't do that, then God somehow is walking away from you. But this is a faith walk. The just shall live by faith. I don't see God, it's a faith thing. Sometimes I don't feel him, it's a faith thing. Can I say amen? I give my offerings, it's a faith thing. Somebody say amen. It's a faith journey. And the moment that Martin Luther understood that fusion theology is incorrect, but that when I believe God, he imputes, not fuses. He imputes, he doesn't fuse. He imputes, that means to impute means he gives it to you freely. He gives it to you because you believe. Can I just tell you something? Some of you feel like a failure, but let's celebrate the Protestant Reformation that a man got a revelation that the scripture is still true and that we are not bound by the Roman teachings of the Vatican, but we are still true to the word of God in scripture alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. He is our rock. He is our savior. And it is only through faith alone that we are justified of our sin. Some of you feel like a failure. You feel like you've got to work for it. You feel like, boy, I, I, I've missed my tithing and I, you know, I cussed somebody out last night. <laughs> I got mad at somebody. Listen, you can't lose it that quick. I was raised in church where, Lord, I got saved every Sunday morning. But really, I got saved Sunday night. That's when they really preached on hell, Pastor David. So, you know, Steve, every Sunday night I'd come to the altar and I'd say, God, forgive me because I stole that pencil in school. <laughs> I ate that cookie that belonged to my brother. And Lord, forgive me. Every Sunday night I got saved until I got this revelation that I am secure in the hands of the Master and nothing can separate me from the love of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said nothing can separate me from the love of God. Martin Luther, Pastor David, went to the wall of the church, nailed those points, and he said, I protest against the church. Thus, that's why you get Lutherans. Martin Luther. You get another group, they start reading the Bible, and they're like, oh, we've done it wrong. The Roman church baptizes babies. So now you get the Anabaptist. They start to immerse people in the water because they read the Scriptures where there is no infant baptism, there's totally immersion. And then other people start reading the Bible for a thousand years. Nobody had the Scriptures. They weren't allowed to read it. And they started to read the Bible and all these churches started popping up because everybody got free. Now, to my Catholics, brothers and sisters. Today in Mass, they're not celebrating the Great Reformation because they think that we have split from the Holy Roman Church. We're apostate brothers and sisters in the faith. 1962 at the Vatican, they made a decree. They apologized for their statements about the Protestants for 500 years 
the Vatican in 1962 at the Second Great Vatican Council, Rome said, we apologize, there could be salvation outside of the Roman church. But there is no salvation outside of Christ. And I think they've made progress. <laughs> I think they've made progress a little bit. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for being an excellent God today. Why is this important? Because when he broke away from the church, there was five things that his followers himself emphasized. Number one, they emphasized Scripture alone. Not the traditions of the church, but the Bible alone. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. The Bible alone. They emphasized the Bible alone. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. The Protestant Reformation was about Scripture alone. Staying true to the Word of God. Following the principles and precepts of the Word of God. The Roman church ceases the Roman church desires to control what the Bible says while the Protestants freely read the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. says that you should renounce this, the babblings for they will increase in more ungodliness. That doesn't sound like the scripture I want. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 16 states. Let me find it here. It might be 1 Timothy. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 3, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is within you, which was given to you by prophecy through the laying on the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them that you may progress, may be evident to all. Take heed unto yourself and to your doctrine and continue in them that you and yourself and those that hear you may be saved. Doctrine, teaching. Give attention to the Word of God because in the end it will save you. In the end it will save you. The Protestant Reformation was about Scripture alone. Scripture triumphs over tradition. It was about faith alone. It was about believing in, that believing 
in Christ alone for your salvation, that you are saved through faith alone. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. I want you to see the scripture that it talks about faith alone. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. So the Protestant Reformation was about scripture alone. It was about faith alone and it's about grace alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The components of salvation is the grace of God, which is the unmerited favor of God in conjunction to your faith in Christ. Not the traditions of the church. Not what the hierarchy teaches you. But your faith in Christ through His grace. Number four, it was about in Christ alone. In Christ alone. It, it, it simply means that Jesus is the mediator. Not the prayers of the saints. Not the praying to the Virgin Mary. Not the intercession of the saints. But Christ alone saves us. Not by the works of your flesh. But Christ alone and through His sacrifice and through His atonement saves us. Christ alone. Not even through the doctrine of transubstantiation. That somehow communion, the bread and the juice, saves an individual. Christ saves us. And number five, it was about the glory of God. The glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse number 31, listen to what he says. Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Not for the glory of the church, but for the glory of God. So, we celebrate 500 years of believing in Scripture alone. In faith alone. In grace alone. In Christ alone. For the glory of God alone. See? Scripture alone. I'm calling you back to the Bible. Let's believe the Bible again. Did you hear me? I said let's believe the Bible again. John 17, 17, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. Mark chapter 13, 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Let's go back to the book. Let's call for a reformation. Let's get back to the B-I-B-L-E. Let's get on our knees in prayer and let the Holy Spirit bathe us in another Pentecost that we've never experienced before. Let's get back to the Bible. The Bible. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't like all this history stuff you told us about. Somebody paid for those seats you're setting in. Somebody paid the opportunity for me to stand behind here and tell you it's grace alone. 
Somebody paved the way. Bible was written by 40 different authors over a period of 16 centuries many places. The Bible this morning bears the witness that there is one God. It tells of one continuous story of redemption. It has one theme, and that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible that I hold in my hand, people have spit upon it and rejected it. There's been enemies of this book down through the centuries. They've tried to destroy it. Churches have tried to close its pages, reserve it, the hierarchy. There are those who've tried to burn it. There are those who've tried to silence its message. But down through the centuries, this book has always stood the test of time. Centuries. Centuries follow centuries, and it still stands. Emperors rise and emperors will fall, but there it stands. Dynasties will succeed dynasties, but it will still stand. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, but there it stands. It's been despised and torn to pieces, but it still stands. Storms of hate have surrounded it, but it still stands. Atheists will speak against it, but it still stands. Flames have kindled round about it, but it still stands. The Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, is the mind of God. It contains the state of man. It is the way of salvation. It is the doom of all sinners. It is the happiness of every believer. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. The histories are true. And every decision is right. You've got to read it to be wise. You've got to believe it to be safe. You've got to practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the soldier's sword. It is the indispensable, infallible word of the living God. The B-I-B-L-E. Thank you, Martin Luther, for believing in the Bible. Thank you, Martin Luther, for declaring that Scripture alone is right. Can't get rid of the Bible? You can mock it and say it's not true, but somebody will preach your funeral with it. Martin Luther said in 1483, that great reformer said, the God's Word in itself all by itself is clear, bright, and honest. Dwight Moody said in 1837, the Bible is the only news book in the world. The newspaper tells us what has taken place, but this book shall tell us what shall take place. 
George Washington, first great president of this great union, said in 1732, it's not possible that I should rightly govern this union without God and the Bible. Andrew Jackson said in 1767, the Bible is the book by which this republic shall rest. David Livingston, that great missionary, said in 1813, all that I am and all that I shall be, I owe it to Christ Jesus who is revealed in this divine book. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. People have fought for a reformation. The church is built upon the blood of the saints. It's not built upon those who compromise and have feelings on their shoulders and offended all the time. And Come on, the church ain't built upon people like that. The church is built upon the blood of the saints who died in perseverance and tenacity, died with bulldog faith. I'm calling for a reformation. There's empty seats in this building. There's no reason why any seat should ever be empty. You should be a walking missionary inviting somebody to church. You should be on a continual quest inviting somebody to church. If they slam the door, invite somebody else. If they don't come, invite somebody else. But you should be so infused by the power of God that you get up off that seat and you go out to the world and you tell them that this thing is really real. Talking about being a walking missionary. I'm talking about a reformation where it calls us to pray once again. I'm talking about where we're convicted of our sin. We're convicted about not serving and giving. We're convicted about not, not giving to God. We're convicted about not witnessing. We're convicted about not giving Him 100%. I'm talking about a genuine revival of repentance where we're bathed in the presence of Almighty God where all we can do is just kneel in His presence and say, God, have mercy on us. You see, we think that when the presence of God shows up, it's all the hoop and the hollowing. When the true presence of God shows up, the Shekinah presence of God Ain't nobody going to be hooping and hollowing. We're all going to be on our face saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When was the last time you come to this altar and you repented of your selfish ways? You repented of the sin in your life. You repented of your prayerlessness. You repented for not putting God first, number one in your life. Say, I did that last week. Do it again. Keeps your heart from drifting away. A continual bathing in the presence of God. Oh, we need a reformation. My God, we do. I can get up here and preach and my veins can pop out of my chest and my, my neck and we could sit there and be on Facebook because you're not moved by the power of God. Your heart is like stone. It's cold. You're falling into the trap of the devil. Your heart is no longer moved by the presence of God. Martin Luther. Did something revolutionary. For over a thousand years, 
when the Roman church conducted their masses, the laity would come to church. They didn't see a pulpit. They saw that. That table is the communion table. They called it the altar. Every time they come to church, it was a table. For over a thousand years, they went to church, ate the bread, drank the juice, and the pulpit was some off to the side. Preaching was five, ten minutes. It was all about the communion. Till Martin Luther said, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, get back to preaching the Bible again. People are taking the communion and they don't know what they're doing. They don't even understand, they don't even understand the language. They're just putting bread in their mouth. For Sunday after Sunday, they're coming and putting stuff in their mouth, and nobody is hearing the preaching of the word. And so something revolutionary happened. You know what happened? They said, what we're going to do, we're going to put the pulpit in the middle of the church. And we're going to be preachers again. And we're going to take the communion table and they put the communion table lower than the pulpit. Because the preaching of the Word should be dominant over the communion table. That's, that's why... When you go to the church I grew up in, there was a pulpit and the communion table was right there. Because we're Protestants. We preach first before we take that. Now if you go into a Roman church, this is not the center. The table is. You go to a Lutheran church, this is semi-central. They still have the table in them. You go to any Protestant church, primarily, this is in the middle. That's why you hire a preacher, not a priest. That's why you hire somebody to preach the word. You don't hire somebody to do music. You don't have, no, no. You hire the preacher because the preaching of the word is the centrality of the Christian church. Get back to the preaching of the word of God. Faith alone. Christ alone. Scripture alone. For the glory of God alone. Lord, I've been so burdened with it. My heart has been so burdened for weeks. Oh God. Oh, the lukewarmness, the apathy, the complacency of God's people. Stir our hearts again, Lord. Revive our hearts again. Give us another reformation that's bathed in prayer. Fasting calls us out of the shadows of doubt and fear, sets our soul on fire again. 
Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, we need you, Jesus. Jesus.